Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, sponsored by Flying Penguin Graphics, audio production by Kieran Nemont. And here's your host, Curtis Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Want to Be a Producer, the podcast for emerging producers and creatives wanting to know how it all begins and how to get where they're going. My name is Curtis Brown, and I am your host, and of course, I am joined by our audio engineer, Kieran Nemont. Hello, sir. How's it going? Good, man. Uh, wait, you're breathing very heavily, and I know you're just sitting down in a chair. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no answer to that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Everyone thinks that you're, like, on a treadmill with, like, a Twinkie in front of your head running towards it. And Kieran's not even overweight or anything like that. But anyway, it's just I don't know why I got that image in my head. Okay. So we got to give you the lowdown on today's episode. So it's a bit more of like an update episode and kind of like a flashback into certain producers and what they've been saying because there's been a lot of scheduling conflicts the last few weeks. So I'm recording two guests on the Monday. It's two, two, two pairs of two guests. Wait, does that make sense? No, it doesn't, does it? It doesn't matter. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that I've got two interviews with two guests per thing. So it's not going to be four interviews. It's two. It's the two interviews. They they are pairs. They're two pairs. My God, that took way too long to explain to these <laughs> Next listeners. Next week's going to be busy. I'm yeah, going yeah, to be busy way. editing this. Yeah, be yes, busy exactly, chopping all those exactly. things out. <laughs> Slash, you're going to be busy editing just that mumbo jumbo of me trying to figure out how the hell to say two pairs. But anyway, <laughs> it, it does make sense. Um, so yeah, so we're going to just go through a few different uh, people, give a little few updates on some of the producers that have been on the show. And Kieran and I are going to play Radio Play, which should be yes. a journey in itself because <laughs> I've looked over these questions and sometimes I wonder... How the hell do any of these producers answer this in like literally no time and have never seen these questions? And I see them all the time and I'm like, wait, what is my favorite movie? Who is my favorite actor or actress? But anyway, we'll get there. And the beauty is, is that uh, the beauty is that Kieran gets to mash it all together. So you guys get the better end and Kieran and I have to sit there and think of the answers. So, uh, okay. So let's start off with Katie Lipson, who was our first episode. So lots has happened with Katie and Arya since her interview, which was our first episode. I think I just mentioned that, but doesn't matter. We're not going to edit that out. Uh, most recently, she has announced that her production of the last five years, which we spoke about the closing on, uh, is is now transferring to the West End, which is super exciting. And she also has a new play, which is going into the West End, called Cruise, um, which was just featured in Vanity Fair. And so she's so great. She's so wonderful. She's got a play and a musical going to the West End. You all heard about how much of a hard-ass worker she is and how she gets things done. And we're so thankful that she was our first episode. So in this clip, you're going to hear how she found financing at the start. And it's actually quite incredible to hear how she starts. And now she's got two shows going to the West End. So... Here we go. But like, I'm assuming private investors played a huge role at the start. Like, they must have. Oh, no. I mean, no. Uh, no, I had to self-fund a lot of my shows, which right. I did. It was teaching money or some of the money as an MD. The budgets were smaller at the beginning. Right. The year or two. And if, like, when I did the Toxic Avenger at Southwark Playhouse, I needed, I think, £40,000 to do it, which is why, again, in the UK, you can start a career easier than in the US because no one could do anything for 40000 in the US. But um, ultimately, that was the money I needed up front. So I was like, I'll put in a third, like myself. Quarter, I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. That was my limit. That was the maximum I could put in a show. And at that point, I find, you know, rather than try to find investors, I found other people that wanted to join an ARIA show that was cool, like Toxic Avenger. 
and put in another 10 grand to have their name on the poster. They weren't just a name on the poster, they actively helped and they, but they didn't necessarily build the project or find the director title venue, budget, whatever. I was general and doing all that, making those creative decisions with their consultation and partnership and I found some good people. And that's how I capitalised slightly bigger shows. And then I took a couple of my own risks on these sort of review shows I would do in like the North London, which would be kind of, I'm Jewish, so I created these Jewish review shows, which a lot of the Jewish community would come to. And right. they're quite reliable when it comes to a show celebrating Sophie Tucker or Zero or Fanny Bryce. And they and, love the theatre too, so, right? Yeah, and you do it in a little theatre in North London and these shows were quite cheap and would make money and put a bit more money in Aria. And, but I'm not going to lie, like, it was small, slim pickings, you know, like, we weren't ever left with much money. We would recycle the same money and if we lost something in a show, we'd make it back up with the Jewish show and it would just do this the whole time, up and down, until... And then I was still teaching and that's how I paid the rent and stuff. And then um, uh, there was one point where I think I lost everything that was in the bank account at one point. I was like, oh God, how do I produce my next show? Then uh, I met someone who's like, oh, you were looking for an investor. Here's my card. And then I'd say to them, oh, do you know anybody else? And they'd go, yes, you should have dinner with them. And we're talking, this is talking like five years of this. You know, well, of course, oh, yeah, but you have to build up a repertoire, don't you? Yeah, and I'm trying to think of like the first show I really raised money for. It started probably with the with Adam's family. So up until that point, every other show had been financed by me and one or two other producers with our own finance. And then uh, I, I actually, um, a lovely guy who sadly is no longer with us, he was an actor that um, had... had, had um, Actually, just because it's just thinking about my first investor, he he was poorly and he had to stop performing because he couldn't dance anymore because he was able. And he said, "Oh, I'd like to be involved with theatre in some way. Could I, could I invest in in a show of yours?" Um, and that he was one of my first like small investors. And I just brought him in on a couple of projects for fun for him and for me and. Then, obviously, I got the rights to the Adams family, and I had to sort of know that I could raise a significant sum of money by that point. But I also thought, you know, sometimes it's easier to raise 300000 than it is 3000 You know, Adams family was... Okay, so our next producer, also Kieran just mentioned, Kieran just mentioned that, that this whole episode is going to be like a Family Guy episode where everything's are just cutaways. That's this whole thing. <laughs> the whole episode is just cutaways. Um, but it's this is actually really going to be a cool episode because you're just going to hear invaluable bits. Not saying that the rest of their episodes aren't, but it's just these little things that I've picked out that I think... I've really resonated with, so I hope that you do too. So our next producer was Kevin Larson, and Kevin was the producer, or is the producer, I should say, of Apple TV Central Park, and they just renewed for a third season, which is so wonderful. It's such a great show. I mean, the cast and creatives are top-notch, and I can't wait to see what happens with Kevin next. So I love this clip because Kevin is such a genuine and good-hearted guy, I mean, in anything he does, and he, I mean, we worked together with him, uh, we'd worked together on, on Royal Caribbean, and <laughs> even when he was pulling up tape from a Show, uh, tape from the floor. He always has. He always had a smile on his face. So I love. I love this guy. And this great. This clip talks about how being prepared when the time comes, and that worked out really well for him and the team of Central Park. So take it away. And luckily for you guys too, you guys signed on with a two-year deal right away as well for two seasons. We got very lucky. Um, basically, 
we went out fox had first dibs and and um i don't well if i'm not allowed to say this nobody said i couldn't uh that i remember they uh they passed um on putting it on i think they would have put it probably in the cartoon block with everybody else simpsons mm-hmm. and family Guy and stuff which is what a great place to be but yeah absolutely but so we went out to hulu um Netflix and Amazon. Apple, right? Yeah. Apple. Oh, Amazon. Hulu, okay. Netflix, Amazon, and Apple. We went out to all four of them. Um, and so they all bit like in the room. They all said, yeah, yes. Which is, I mean, that's just, it doesn't happen. Um, right. So then we said to, we said, well, who wants to give us two seasons? You know? And they all said yes cool again. So it was oh, well, all three of yeah, all four so, of them yeah, said exactly. yes. Hey, yeah. wow! What a, what a luxury, man! Like well, what a luxury to have. It's that. not normal for sure. But mm-hmm. again, you know, it's just keeping your head in the game. Like really, honestly, I mean, it's just like obviously, I always live by like fortune favors the prepared. You know, just mm. be prepared. You know, whenever fortune right. comes knocking on your door. Um, All right, we're back from the second clip, and we're moving on to Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who just released her fourth edition of Untold Stories of Broadway, her book, which is super exciting, and it actually landed at number one on Amazon for theater books, which is, like, a hard thing because Amazon's got, like, 900 million subscribers, so the fact that she was number one is, like, a huge accomplishment. Uh, And it was actually featured on multiple Broadway stars, A-list celebrities, and producers' Instagrams sharing their stories in the book, and sometimes actually even reading them. So this clip is great because Jennifer actually talks about how she was ahead of the curb in terms of where she thought the industry was going. And I love it because it pairs really well with her her being a theater historian because she knew the past so well and it helped her, I think, predict the future. So I think that's just a super cool thing. So take it away, Kieran. I wanted to talk about a bit about social media because Be More Chill had such a unique way to Broadway. It had such a unique journey and social media played a huge role in that because you had Two Rivers paying Ghostlight Records to produce the cast album after its run in 2015. And then the show kind of really caught fire in 2017. So how important does social media now play in the success of a show's journey? Yeah, you know, we obviously had like an incredibly unique journey, as you just articulated very well, um, where, you know, a show has never gotten to Broadway because of social media in quite that way. Mm-hmm. Um, social media is so important. And I remember sitting in ad meetings for title of show in 2008, where I was the youngest person in the room and people were literally going, should we make a Facebook page? Well, that's all any tickets. And like, that was only a decade ago. And like, now it's one of the major ways that Broadway like sells tickets and like shows, you know, what they're doing to fans and all of the ways that social media has like hugely impacted Broadway. Um, yeah, you know, I think that it will change and it has changed. It's not going to suddenly be like, Oh, be more chill did this. And now there's going to be dozens of shows that get to Broadway because of social media. Um, but certainly like, because of, the way that you're able to connect with fans, it will have, there will be shows in the future that will have that happen, I think. Um, also, like, I think what's really interesting to me is certainly, you know, Be More Chill would not have happened with all of the, like, videos and fan art and, like, music and just the fact that, like, that did not hurt the show's journey. It only helped it. I hope has helped open people's minds to, um, you know, I 
I don't believe everything should like immediately have a pro shot and we should all be able to watch every Broadway show. You know, I think that <laughs> takes away from some of it, honestly. Um, I, as far as accessibility goes, you know, even though I grew up in Florida and like was not able to come to New York and see a million shows, um, I was very lucky in that South Florida actually has like a very cool theater scene because there are so many elderly people there where I got to like, you know, go see community theater productions of shows constantly. Right. And I think that part of the accessibility conversation has to be like, it's really cool to see live theater in your hometown. Like go see a high school production of Bye Bye Birdie, like go see a community theater production of Crazy For You. Like it's not just about like access only means we need videos of Broadway shows because like, again, that's not theater and that is part of the conversation, but it should also be like, how do we nurture theater communities on tours, like regional theaters in every city so that we can like bring live theater to people that aren't having access to New York. That's so great. And Okay, so our next clip is Amina Hamid. This powerhouse has been up to a lot. So she teamed up with GradFest, and they had a successful stream for those graduates who missed out on their showcase. Death Drop, which was her West End show, which made her the youngest uh, West End producer uh, ever, I think it is, is uh, their show Death Drop has just reannounced their new West End date for starting, which is exciting because the UK is opening up. Canada's on in a whole other story, but that's a whole other bottle of wine, Ooh. my friend. Uh, she's also co-producing The Wiz, which is such a fantastic show. I literally love that show. And if the show is anything like the art looks, this production is going to be really good. And I am book it now, friends. I predict that this production is going to be going to the West End. I bet you anything. It's going to the West End. That's just my feeling. I don't know. Don't bet your mortgage on it, but <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Um, and this production, The Wiz, is actually opening over Christmas uh, this year. So that's super exciting, something to look forward to. And Amina has such a, a wealth of knowledge in so many different venues, and I think it's just important to see how different these roles within the umbrella of theater have really informed her producing lens. And it's funny, you know, Lin-Manuel has spoken about this as well, that, you know, learning about learning as much as you can about different aspects of other jobs is only going to inform you more. So, um, yeah, I think she speaks on that a little bit in this clip, which is super cool. So here we go. And what I also, I wanted to ask you is because you've done the producing, creative producing festival curator, general manager, what I wanted to ask you was how have those previous jobs, like what have those previous jobs done for you in helping and in informing your producing career? I think, so I would say that producer, creative producer and, and general manager can be kind of interchangeable a little bit. Um, so I think those are all really similar. But when it comes to, I did start in sound and lighting design um, and I did some stuff with 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 the youth theatre for that. Um, and it was really, really great. One, because I met and learnt from sound and lighting designers who I then made friends with and then that like brought me a whole network of, of people um, but also because it means that when somebody says something, I understand it so much more. Um, I did a technical theatre course at RADA. I didn't, I didn't finish it <laughs> because <laughs> it was eight weeks long. I don't know how I didn't get to the end, but I got a different job <laughs> and, and had to take it. Um, but I learned so much from it because it was so good to go, oh, these are all of the aspects of producing um, or of how a show happens. Um, and so when you're producing and you're like sat in, I mean, honestly, sat on my sofa writing emails. I know what I'm what I'm saying when I say to a sound designer, "Can you deliver this then? And can you do this? And um, here are the specs for the for the venue and that kind of thing." I think it's really helpful to know those things, not necessarily in in depth. You don't have to. I don't think you have to study everything, but 
um, it is really good to know what you're talking about when you're talking to a designer or when you're talking to um, someone or when you're trying to be programmed as part of a festival because, oh, my God, there are so many people. Um, it's, it's just so much. So it was, it's yeah, it's a lot of um, really just understanding how to talk to people in those roles because you've been there. Um, I also worked in a box office and I think that is one of the most, that was one of the most formative things for me because it's so easy for people to just be horrible to the person that works in box office. And actually one, they're the person who's going to be able to tell you what, how many tickets you've sold and that's very helpful. But two, they're a human being and they probably also work in theatre. They're just <laughs> emerging, like the number of emerging creatives I know who work in a box office as well. And it's just that thing of like, they, you might, like talk to them find out what they do and then two years down the line be like oh that's I know that person in that show and we should work together um also just generally I think you should be nice to people that's just how I was brought up I don't I don't know <laughs> all right here we go I want to play a little game with you Kieran oh, and it's no. called the radio play I now know it's my turn now it's your turn <laughs> to be in the hot seat you're like oh yeah I just signed up for this gig and all I'll have to do is cut things together chop chop but now it's like now you're in the hot seat baby <laughs> okay hit me so hit me. are you ready are you ready buddy bring it oh man this is a lot man you said <laughs> yeah you, you sound so confident and I can't wait for there to be a huge gap that no one hears that I hear <laughs> that you're gonna have to cut out okay so, this is Radio Play. What time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, no fixed time. Differs every day. Favorite movie? Not really a movie person. Oh, great. Wow, this is so exciting <laughs> for everyone so far. You haven't answered one of these yet. I said, what time do you wake up in the morning? You're just like, you know, when my eyes open. And I'm literally like, we need to be specific. No. Okay, guilty. No, no, I know, I know. Do you believe in love at first sight? No. Okay, what are you scared of? Uh, not doing enough. Okay, what does a person need to be happy? Uh, you need to be happy with yourself. It all, all starts with you. If you couldn't be an audio engineer, what would you be? Hmm, probably, probably something else to do with design. Probably That's like super cool. interior design or something completely different like, I don't know, yeah, a chef. I always make that joke about being a chef, but I probably, I, I would probably, if, if I could do, I don't know, my skills don't lie there. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't be worse than the half-cooked chicken that we were eating on that boat together. So <laughs> I think I could do better than that. Yeah. Yeah, you could do better than that. Okay. So do ghosts exist? Mm, yes. Do aliens exist? Hundred percent. Best advice you've ever been given? Hmm. It would be just do it. Just stop being afraid. Stop stop worrying about what people think. Just go for it, man, because in a few years' time, you're probably going to regret not doing it more than the person who laughed at you or, you know, something stupid that, that no one else really yeah. cares about. Yeah, I just do it, man. I, I, think that's a good, I think that's a good piece of advice. You find a million dollars in a bag. Do you return it or keep it? Oof. Oof, some moral conflict going on here now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, uh, I know. I think I would return it. I don't think I would live with myself. How many windows are in New York City? 75,000. Oh my God, everyone lowballs that. There's so many more than 75,000. <laughs> no I can obviously, I can interrupt you and say these because you're not a guest and you're just my friend. But like, what the hell, 75,000? There's way more than, there's probably 75,000 in like one building. Anyway, okay, your role model as a child. I thought about this earlier and I actually don't have an answer. I, yeah, I you want to know something? As I, was, as I was typing it too, I went, who the hell was my role model as a child? So yeah. we, we don't need to answer that one. <laughs> okay, be able to fly or be invisible? Hmm, fly, because 
I think flying is so boring. Like, I don't sleep on a plane, so I think that's why I don't like the flying. Yeah, <laughs> I think if I could just yeah, be yeah. somewhere immediately without without worrying about being on a plane. <laughs> a moment you wish you could relive. Hmm. Wow, there's a lot of those. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think I have a specific answer, but I think doing doing something significant for the first time. Yeah, probably. I think so too. Favorite holiday? Again, no specific place, so probably something away from everyday life, probably something away from technology. Probably like on a tropical island in the middle of nowhere would probably be. Okay, last one. Commission commission someone. You get to commission someone, living or dead, to create a piece of art for you. Who would it be? <laughs> yeah. Great. That's radio play. I think that's a perfect ending. <laughs> Holy shit. This is my turn. Oh my god, man, I'm so nervous. This is worse than me interviewing someone. Like, I'd much rather be interviewing someone right now than me having to answer these questions. Okay, go ahead. All right, Mr. Brown, are you ready? Are you ready? (laughs) This is is your intro to radio play. This is what it would sound like if Kieran was the host, just so you know, everyone. Are the tables have turned, Mr. Brown? The tables have turned. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. All right, what time do you wake up in the morning? 7.30 usually. Hmm. Uh, Ideal Friday night. Uh, out, out with the boys uh, at a bar. That's a great answer. Should have asked mm-hmm. me that. I could have given that answer. <laughs> uh, didn't I tell you Ideal Friday Night? No, you didn't. <laughs> no, I, I skipped it and went to Guilty Pleasure. Okay, go ahead. Uh, country you'd like to visit? Japan. Uh, what are you scared of? Sharks, man. Don't ever with sharks. I can't. Can't Whoa. handle that. No. Can't handle sharks. Everyone's like legacy, and I'm literally like that animal that'll bite my leg off. That one. Well, don't, come, don't come swim in South Africa then. Those yeah. Sharks, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, not, not that I, uh, I want to go to Australia too, a country I'd like to visit in Australia, but I'm literally scared I'm gonna die. <laughs> anyway. Uh, biggest pet peeve. Oh, people crunching. Don't ever. I hate it. I once, someone was eating popcorn beside me once, and I looked at them, and they knew I had this pet peeve, and she looked at me, and she went, what do you want me to do, suck on it? And I laughed so hard, because I was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I can't get mad at you for eating popcorn. But anyway, (laughs) next one. Do ghosts exist? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do aliens exist? Oh, 100%. All right. Uh, Favorite Netflix show? Ooh. Mmm. I mean, it didn't start on Netflix, but I guess, yeah, so it's a, kind of a hard question. But I would say I'm, I'm a real big fan of Breaking Bad. I thought that was so well done. And I think people, if you don't know, like, look into the Easter eggs of that show as well as, like, just, like, just from design, from everything on that show, I just think it's so well done. So I would say Breaking Bad for me. I actually haven't seen it, so I'll have to take your word for it. What? <laughs> oh, my God. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> What does a person need to be happy? Yeah, I think it's yours. I think you need to be happy with yourself first. I think that's the only way that you know how to be happy. So I, I would say, I think, I think that. I think being happy with yourself and understanding what you need first. Does that answer the question? Or does that mean just reiterating the question? It definitely does answer the question. Okay, I think so. I feel like I reiterated it. Watch, some, one of my friends will text me and be like, you're an idiot. You, you totally didn't answer this correctly. <laughs> you find a million dollars in the bag. Do you return it or keep it? Yeah, this is hard because I agree with the moral conscience thing. Oh, man, I could use a million dollars really badly. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. 
I'd probably take like 10 grand and then just leave the rest and I'd return the rest. <laughs> wow. That's wow. a better thing. That's a better thing. Be like, hey, I found I found this amount of money. 10 grand short of a million. Who knew? Wonder where that went. We're not lying. We're just not telling the whole truth. No, yeah, exactly. No, no. You want to know something? As much as I'd want to keep it, I'd probably have to return it. I yeah. have to because it, it would eat the hell out of me yeah. if I knew that. It would kill me. It would kill me. So yes, I would. I, I'd probably return it. All right, and best advice you've ever been given? Uh, throw enough shit against the wall, it's bound to stick. That was, one, that was in one of the episodes. I think it was, but I not it as... <laughs> no, no, we yeah, yeah. One of the we're going to go ahead. No, I think we did, but I think, I, think, I think it was more that it was about know where you're throwing your shit, and I would agree with that. If you're going to throw shit against the wall, and I agree that something is bound to stick, but it's like... Sort of what Dan Jinks wrote or said. He was like, you know, know, know your, know your market, right? I wouldn't send, you know, I'm not going to send Coca-Cola a can of Pepsi and be like, hey, look at my drinks, really good. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense to do that. Like, sit in within the realm of what you're supposed to. Um, would be what I say. If you could commission someone living or dead to create a piece of art for you, who would it be? Hmm. I think it would be. Okay, it's either Salvador Dali or CJ Hendry. And if you don't know who CJ Hendry is, look her up on Instagram. I mean, it's I guess that's kind of a cop-out because she's alive. But I did pick two, so that's okay. I picked one that was dead. I think, I feel like it should always be that. Or else I'd also say Stephen Sondheim because if he literally could do something for me, I think that would be un unbelievable. That would be me. All right, and that's Radio Play. Yay! He nailed it! <laughs> nailed the tagline! Nailed the tagline! Dude, that's harder than I thought it would be, hey? Yes, ma'am. Like, yeah, when you're, when you're asked these to quick... The <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. High five to them, like, seriously. I don't give them any... I tell them in, like, an, a pre-interview package. I'm like, hey, so there's, like, this game where we get to know you, the person, rather than you, the producer, even though they sort of are interchangeable. But the point is... Is that's hard to do? Like just to be like out of nowhere to be asked these types of questions. That's hard. That's tough. Um, yeah. Okay. So now we're on to season two with Ken Davenport, who was our season two uh, debut guest, and he might be the hardest working guy I've literally ever met. And he most recently announced his show, A Beautiful Noise, uh, which is the Neil Diamond musical, will have its Broadway debut in 2022, which is super cool and super exciting. Uh, how much you want to bet Sweet Caroline will be in that? Uh, ba ba ba. <laughs> I bet you it will be. Uh, it was originally announced for 2019, but it got pushed back due to the pandemic. And so I'm really excited for Ken and looking forward to see what else he's got on the Great White Way. Um, this is actually one of my favorite clips in the series because I think it sums up everyone's initial thoughts. And actually, Kieran, I think it actually summed up one of yours, too, um, in the radio play. Is that and it's about fear. And the way that Ken ends this clip, and he says, really good things happen, or really good things can happen. It's one of the two. And I think that's super important because I think potential's on every single person's fingertips. It's just about taking that leap. And I guess what's more special than that? Having that potential right at your fingertips. So go ahead. So in your book, How to Succeed in Arts or in Anything, you tell this great story about meeting with Hal Prince after sending him a letter that you want to be a creative producer. So after all the great ideas you told him, the advice he gave you was, Ken, just start. Produce something, produce anything, but start now. So how did you start and get into producing? Well, the irony is I'd had this idea years before for a show uh, 
an interactive show because they were very popular at the time. You'd call them immersive now. An interactive show like Tony and Tina's wedding or Joe and, Joey and Maria's wedding or any of those ripoff wedding shows. <laughs> and I had an idea to set one at uh, another milestone event. So there was a wedding show, a funeral show, a bar mitzvah show. And I wanted to do one at a prom because that was a big milestone in my life and certainly American culture. And then I thought, oh, we could set that back in time. We do it in the 80s, like my era and all that fun music and oh, Amer uh, American Idol or Survivor was just starting now and we can have a, you vote for who wins king and queen at the end. Like, oh, wouldn't that be, oh, that'd be great. And then I never did anything with it. And the reason, look, 99% of the world has great ideas, right? What separates the 99% from the 1% is the 1% actually does something with their ideas. Like every day, every single person listening to this, walking in, like, I have an idea for an app, for a novel, for a movie, how to fix healthcare in this country. You guys have fixed it already. <laughs> um, like all these things, but very few people do anything about it. And I was one of those people. Like that was me until, and look, I was very fortunate to sit in uh, Hal Prince's office and have him look at me and say, literally, stop talking. Because I, I pitched him like 20 ideas. Right. And he was like, stop talking, just do something. Because he recognized a creativity in me and an imagination in me. But he was like, this guy is going to get nowhere if he just keeps yapping his mouth. Right. He's got to do something. And that day I went home and I started doing something, which was I started putting together a show called The Awesome 80s Prom. And let me be very clear when I say I started doing this. I didn't know what I was doing at all when I started doing it. And, you know, I have my own podcast. I've recorded like 200 episodes with Pulitzer mm -hmm. Prize winners and Tony winners and all that stuff. The most commonly uttered phrase from all of my most successful guests has been, I didn't know what I was doing. And I actually preach now that the moment in your life, you're like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't know what to do it. That is the fork in the road. And the people that plow ahead, even though they don't know what they're doing, those are the ones that break through to enormous success. Most of the people will not. They will get nervous and scared. They will hide the ideas. They will seek out like too much research. They just won't do anything about it. And that's what separates it. And luckily, Hal got me going. And very specifically, what I did was I posted an ad in a newspaper saying, I need actors. People responded. I then had an audition. People came. Then I had to have a callback. I cast people. Then I had to have a rehearsal. And the story that I write about in my book goes, at the day of the first rehearsal, 20 minutes before it began, I was downstairs at a McDonald's reading a book called How to Improv because I wanted the show based on improv. Right. I didn't know what I was going to do at the first rehearsal 20 minutes before the first rehearsal started. Wow. And you, and you know, you say, wow. And I, even I go like, what? A, I can't believe I did that. But the fact is, what was the big deal? No one was going to live or die by if I, the first rehearsal sucked or not. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, my dad was a cardiologist and I did not choose that path because I did not want to make life or death decisions. <laughs> I chose the entertainment industry and that's, it's about just making decisions saying what's the worst that's going to happen. Right. And more often than not, really good things happen.
All right, we've only got a few more here. So our next is Joe Longthorne. Uh, Joe has been busy working on his schooling, and he actually most recently announced that he is the interim artistic director at the Barnstormers Theater, which is a theater in New Hampshire, and no one is better for that job than Joe. I mean, his enthusiasm, his knowledge, his taste, as you know from the work he's produced, it's super successful and very good. I'm really happy for him, and he continually updates his blog, Creative Finance with Broadway Joe, so be sure to check it out. I think he actually just put out something yesterday. Um, Joe's a really intelligent guy. I actually, I, I love that he started a finance blog. We were sitting actually at a rooftop bar in New York and we were discussing finance and talk, about talking about money and turning it into more money and how you should, you can use that to invest in your life, but also in your own projects. And within my, within a minute, my mind had blown all over the building and over the building and onto taxi cabs below, which caused a five car pile up, which it definitely did not. <laughs> but, it, but if my mind was going to blow up, that's what I imagine would happen. So really do check out Creative Finance with Broadway Joe. This clip gives you a little insight to his blog and his knowledge. For emerging producers, what are some financial tips that you would tell them that could help them either immediately or further down the line? Obviously, you're not Jim Cramer, and you're not going to be like telling everyone to like go invest in Tesla right now. But mm-hmm. but j- just a few tips that maybe that can help someone. Uh, yes. So as producers, we are self-employed people, which is a whole uh, crazy concept to wrap your mind around. Um, if there are folks out there that have day jobs where they, you know, have 401k accounts and they're getting taxes taken out of their paychecks. That sort of is the norm. That's how we understand uh, work to function. As a producer, you're a self-employed person. So you you are essentially running your own business. Every show that you create from the ground up is a startup in a way, and it's Mm -hmm. a whole new business venture. Um, So on the personal finance side of things, uh, it's just important to understand that while you're not paying taxes in the moment, you need to be putting money aside for your taxes at the end of the year. Um, you need to know what retirement accounts you have access to because you are a self-employed person. You know, you don't have someone that's contributing to a 401k for you. So it might mean if you're in the United States, you'd start your own IRA account, an individual retirement account, um, and you can have access to that to invest for the long term. So just keeping an eye on the on the overall puzzle and how it works. And we've got Adam Lenson next, who was on the show recently and has already something exciting to announce. And that is Public Domain, that show he directed and produced, uh, will be transferring to the West End in May, which is super wonderful. I mean, we love Adam, all the work that he does. His book, Breaking Into Song, Why You Shouldn't Hate Musicals, should be coming out in September, too. I think we spoke about that, him and I. I don't know if we spoke about it on the podcast, but be sure to pick up a copy. I'm excited to read it because I don't hate musicals, and this book will just solicit solidify my thoughts even more than I'll even more than I'll need even though I won't need that because I literally went to school so that I could get a degree in this because I literally love music theater so much um, so I love this clip because Adam taught himself all these skills and actually the show that's going to the West End is a digital show if I'm not mistaking and I'm not sure if this will be in person or not but it's super super cool so he talks about people taking initiative to achieve their creative dreams and how that's always something, and I think that's always something to applaud. So here he does. Here he discusses how he started it all. So you've produced a lot of online musicals with Public Domain, Shift Alt Right, The Fabulous uh, Fox Sister, and Musical Lie. So I mean, for our listeners, I'm not talking like 
people like Adam standing in front of like a, por- a family portrait or Disney plate singing a song. Like it's a full production. Like if you see Adam behind the scenes on Shift Alt Right online, he looks like he looks like the alien from uh, what's it called, uh, Men in Black Two. Not physically, he just has got a million arms moving in, like at all different times. It's insane. I highly recommend you go look. <laughs> so one, how the hell did you learn to do all that? And two, like how did you start producing that stuff? Is that just like you're like wait we're in a pandemic like time to like change the leg or add another leg to the table like like well, what's that situation yeah i i mean i've always been i've i've always known how to use computers and i've always been like enjoyed adding skills software skills as i needed them i remember the first piece of software i remember needing as a director was QLab, which is sound queuing software. And I learned how to use it because I was doing a lot of readings, which was just me. The only budget was for me and some actors. And I got, you know, sometimes you want music and underscore and you want the sound of a phone ringing rather than having to someone say a phone rings and and you don't have the resource. So I remember teaching myself how to use that. And, um, and then if you need to use that, you learn how to use you know, a, a digital workstation like GarageBand or Logic or in order to like, oh, what, if I can make the sound sound different, how do I do it? I can add filters and stuff. And then I produced a podcast. And so I learned how to use, uh, I actually made all of that using Adobe Audition because that came with Creative Suite. But then, you know, you need to make a logo for it. So you learn yeah, how to I use Photoshop. And I think most producers, right, they they're, they're, knowing how to do a little bit of everything obviously i can i can graphic design in photoshop if if i really need if i really need something quickly i can design it myself if i need it i'm good at a lot of things i'm not great at most things so like if i need if 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 i want an expert in something i will still normally reach out but in terms of speed of execution sometimes it is good to have some knowledge yourself so and over a period of years, I just learned how to use more software. I like, if, you know, like when you meet instrumentalists and they're like, oh, I, you know, play the guitar. But this year I decided to pick up the bass as well. That, right. That sort it's, of, you know, that type. Yeah, it's, it's all the same type of thing. And you slowly start to learn and it all builds and layers on. Top yeah. Of each other. yeah. So I'd say that I sort of began 2020 knowing how to use most of Adobe Creative Suite, most like sound editing, video editing, basics and QLab and, and some live show control stuff. And then... Yeah, it all started because we were meant to do a signal in March 2020 that got mm-hmm. cancelled. And we were like, well, what would it be like to try and do a live multi-location online concert remotely? And so we, you know, went on to Reddit and the forums and, and looked at what other people were doing. And it turned out that the majority of people were using a piece of software called OBS, which mm. you've probably come across, which is free live streaming broadcasting software, open broadcasting software. And I downloaded it and it's free and it bears some resemblance to other software and um, you, I learned how to use it. And what I would say is you decide, I always say the same thing about digital theater to people. You don't learn the software. What you do is you conceive the idea and how you want it to work creatively. And then you find how to do that using the software. So it's more content dictating form, right? I want to do a multi-location concert where people can come in live from different locations, but I want them all in one broadcast. You then find the software and then you start Googling, how do I do multi-location in OBS? And then people, there are forums and 
gradually right. you, le- you, you learn and you plug stuff into it. And one, one signal in particular, we decided we wanted to make sure that the chat room could overlay on top of my links when, when I'm talking about people. Because so we could know that the audience were there live and that there yes. was that feeling. I've, I've seen that actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, you know, we looked up, how do you get a YouTube chat and overlay it on OBS? And someone had invented a code plugin and we pasted it in and, and it worked. <laughs> like lots wow, of things yeah, don't yeah. work. But so the order of events was, I won't waffle too much, but the order of events was we did six months of concerts every two weeks. And that mean by the end of that time, we were like, pretty decent i had just managed that was my new job at that point right. was like digital concerts where people were remote i remember thinking god it's it's fine bringing people in with their webcam and with their but wouldn't it be slightly easier if we were all in a room together covid safe obviously and right. then so um so yeah we we uh, me and christian chorney who 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 works with me on a lot of of my projects we got we got some cameras and a vision mixer and a, some sound kit but it all plugs into obs still it's just like instead of a webcam it's a it's a it's a good, real, good, real camera. camera. Yeah. And then like instead of, you know, instead of clicking to switch between camera one, two, three, and four, you press a switcher, which brings them in over HDMI. And right. It actually has sort of been this kind of creep, this skill set creep. I never sat out and was like, I'm going to learn all the things this month. And I think actually that's a, a good way for any producer to be, right, is to just kind of go, what is my point of concentration? And you see it all the time. People, people go, I want to get better at making great budgets and I'm just going to spend this couple of weeks just thinking about spreadsheets and formulae and speak to people about that and then it maybe go oh I want to know how to create different you see this all the time people have an image that a graphic designer made for them but they need to create buttons you know different sized oh you know you need this size for Watson stage this size for the stage you need 320 pixels by 200 pixels for for stream.theater you need and that's actually quite a simple job and just requires like yeah people just don't seek out to go look it up do they yeah a lot of people are just like well it's easier if i just reach out to someone and they can do it for me yeah but i know not much money and 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 i have more time than money um Mm -hmm. so so i've often found that like when it comes to those sorts of jobs i will teach myself them and rather than and also the good thing about teaching yourself them even if you don't keep doing it is then you'll know next time what it actually involves so so it's been a kind of accumulating thing and i really love it you know i really and last, but certainly not least, is Danielle Torrento. She is actually live streaming Dave Malloy's pre- Preludes musical from the Off West End Theatre Southwark Playhouse for two performances in May, which is super exciting. I really loved this episode with her because you really got to know what kind of goes on on the other side of the table since she's a casting director. And she's, such, she's just such like an easy person to talk to. And also like... So crazy. When she showed up on our screen, I literally went, oh, my God, I've totally met you in 2015. And we then we saw each other on Zoom. And, you know, you get to catch up six years later. And it, if that tells you anything, it's that this industry is minuscule and that you need to be nice to everyone. Um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. I actually was at an audition in 2015, too, when I was living in London. And who who is there? Who who is who's the runner for the audition? But Harry Bloomlow, I think it's Bloomlow. I want to say that's his last name. Well, he's now like one of the big casting directors in uh, in in London theater. Um, I think he works for Debbie O'Brien, and I think that's his mother. I want to say, but I don't know. Now I'm just giving you a 23 and Me family tree that I just can't confirm. <laughs> so I uh, so anyway, I love this clip with Danielle because it discusses how you measure your impact on certain. 
I love this clip from Danielle because it discusses how you should measure your impact on certain creatives and how it can cloud someone's vision. And I think that's super important. And there seems to be a fine line and, and the certain people you should put more creative input on than others. And I think she really gets that in this clip. So take a listen. Now, I've heard you say in an interview with Dark Unicorn Productions that you've never understood what a creative producer is because, and I quote, what is someone who isn't a creative producer if they aren't a producer? So my question to you is, how much creative input should a producer have? Um, 100% and none. Hmm. In Jeez. equal measure. I think, right. basically, when the production starts, so when, you know, when, I, when I get, a, a, get the rights to a show, and I start, I mean, even, well, even before I get the rights, even when I'm thinking about getting the rights to the show, I have got in my head an idea of what it's going to be, my version right. of it. Um, I then choose, you know, then when I, choose, when I choose a director to direct that is because they have a similar vision to me or because I believe that they will be on the same page. They then start creating a vision. I have no interest in doing someone's job for them. Number one, because I have, what, what am I paying them for? But number two, also, that's not my job. And we have amazing creatives in the world. Why would I want to step on their toes? I often say when I'm talking about graphic design, I, I try very hard never to say to the graphic designer, I want it to look like this, because then what they will do is brilliantly design what I've told them to design. What I'd rather do is give them 10 buzzwords and then let them come up with what they, they think that means to them, because they're going to come up with something far more interesting than I am. Right. You then don't want to cloud, cloud their vision. Yeah, ex exactly. Because the minute you tell, you know, the minute I say green, blue will disappear forever and it will only ever be green. But what happens if blue was better? And we'll never know. It's always about the better choice. It's exactly. always about the better choice. The better choice always wins. I live by that forever. Yeah. And that's in anything that I do as well. I'm always like, if anyone has anything to say, just say it because it could be the better thing at the end of the day. And that's what uh, ultimately we're all here for this product and the product is what's going to pay everyone more. Yeah. So let's just try and get it to be the right thing. So I guess like a producer is almost like a producer is almost like a creative person who's not really noted as a creative then. Would you say that? Yeah, I mean, apart from the fact that I think, I mean, I think a producer is creative in the very nature of the fact that they, they've had the idea. Therefore, yes, yes, they, yes, they have created the creatives. I suppose. If yeah, you, you know. yeah, that's great. That's like a weird way to think of it. But um, you're right. Actually, they are the master. They are the puppet master. They, you know, yes, I don't. That's right. Now I'm coming back to the megalomania that we talked about earlier. That sounds. <laughs> I don't mean that. But you know, no, I mean, of course. So I think going back to the the the, the sort of mini quote that you were, were talking about, I don't understand the difference. With, People, there's this new title which is called creative producer, which basically mm -hmm. is a producer who doesn't raise money. Now that's fine, but th but the idea that then a, a non a, a producer who does not call the creative producer isn't creative seems weird to me. I think that's the point I was trying to make. Yes, uh, yeah, 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 and, and that and makes that makes more sense to me. Yeah, and also a financial producer, you know. And remember, let's also bear in mind that it's very different the way we look at it in this country than we do on Broadway. You know, when you look at a Broadway poster and there's 400 names above the title, anyone yeah. who's written a check is a producer. But you love reading when you read, you know, old Tony Award winning Mr. Brown. It's like, no, Mr. Brown didn't win a Tony. Mr. Brown wrote a check, which went to any awards of production. The one said, but good on Mr. Brown for winning that. That's great. But thank you. Thank you. You know, when we do it over here, you do not see 200 people get up on stage to collect the Olivier. It's the. No. Well. That is the highlight show. We've got interviews coming up in the next two weeks, and that may or may not be a the final two of season of season two. Uh, Kieran and I will discuss, but 
it's super exciting either way. I'm I, I'm I've been really enjoying this podcast thing. It, it's really opened up my eyes to a whole new whole new genre of art and and uh, a genre of content, even though I don't think those two words should be put in the same sentence, but of course I just did that. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I hope you guys are too. I hope you're learning and I hope uh, I hope you kind of get to see a bit of insight into like what these people do and how important they are to the world and to the to the stuff that you consume. So I'm really excited. Kieran, you excited? Yes, sir. Wow! Did you see? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear that, folks? <laughs> Kieran sounds like you just told him we're going to Disneyland and we got <laughs> fast passes, baby. Okay, no. So uh, I'm really excited. Kieran's really excited. I hope you're all excited, and uh, we'll have uh, two big interviews coming up for you next in the next few weeks. So, take care, guys. This has been a Brown Stuff production. <laughs>